What I'd like to do is launch from that testimony into what I hope will be uh, an inspiration to you. What, when we read Scripture and then we go to places where the Lord has confirmed in His Word, you know how I love the science connection. We've had uh, Walter Goey here who's connected us with the, the, the outreach to the heavens, to the molecular level, just to watch God at every level. But to go there and see the archaeological finds and the validation of the book and the things we saw. And I'm going to try, there's no way I'll be able to do all of it. But what I'd like to do this morning is to give you an overview of what was prophesied by two prophets over 2,500 years ago that have now been validated. We went to the museum of the book. God doesn't do anything by accident. His timing, his chronology of things and events is perfect. So in 1947, when Israel's formed, they also happened to find the Dead Sea Scrolls. This Bedouin young man goes into the Qurum Caves and finds what he doesn't believe to be worth much, but he finds a scroll. He sells it at a flea market. Through the history uh, reviews, they find out this is something very valuable. Well, Israel cannot go uncover these things until 20 years later because Jordan has control of that region. So from 1947, it's top secret when the Israelis figured out that this is an archaeological find of 700 scrolls, all of the Old Testament. You hear me? All of the Old Testament was found there, plus some. And so in 1967, after the Six-Day War, and Israel captures and conquers that region, they go in, and they go into the Qurum Caves, and they redig, finding 700 well, we've now gone to the museum of the book. We saw the scrolls. They have now translated this. this. Listen to me. This is where if there's one letter out of order in the scrolls, that is not a valid scripture. So these are validation. They found over six complete books of the book of Ezekiel, which I'm going to share predominantly. They found over 20 volumes of the, of the gospel of the, of the writings of Isaiah. I asked our Jewish guide, he was an Orthodox Jew, uh, somebody asked him on the team, I think it was Dan, somebody asked him, so how do you guys reconcile Isaiah 53? He didn't have a really great answer for that. Isaiah 53 predicted the suffering servant and how Israel, well, I want us to look this morning, my desire is that we will see, capture what has now been unearthed, translated by multiple groups of people, scholars who now say this word that was hidden in the caves back just prior to the destruction of the, of the temple in Jerusalem, as Jesus had predicted in Matthew 24, that they're going to see every stone. Remember, they sat on the Mount of Olives, and they were awed by the temple and its glory. And Jesus said, not one of these stones will remain. And they said, what do you mean? <laughs> he goes, it's going to be completely destroyed. And we know in 70 A.D., the Romans came in, smashed it. Not one stone was left. We saw the places where the walls were pushed over. We went up on Masada where the holdouts of the last of the Israelis held out for over a year against a thousand Romans. We saw the place of Masada. And so these are the places. Not far from that are the caves of Qurum, which were stored away for such a time as this. Translating now the book of Ezekiel and the book of Zechariah. I'm going to pull those two forward so that you and I can sit here and say, God's amazing. And when you look at the details of what 
He predicted what Ezekiel predicted 2,500 years ago. Now translated and says, it wasn't written after the fact. It's written now for us. And when you unfold and you see what's happening, I mean, it ought to get us in a place where, whoa, we're going to look at the prediction of what happens to Israel, the coming war that can make you nervous, but it's also the coming glory of the second coming of Christ, all predicted by both Ezekiel and Zechariah. So if you'll pull out your handout, your outline, I want us to look at, and you can open up to Ezekiel chapter 5. Let's begin there. Actually, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel is an interesting book. He was a very strange prophet. He actually, if you look at the, the historical uh, accounts, he, was, he wrote the book of Ezekiel in 570 B.C. So over 500 years before Christ, Ezekiel, this is just prior to, he actually predicts the capture by the Babylonians and being brought into exile because of their sin. And he is actually in exile and then prophesies the restoration, and then his follow-on, Zechariah, comes in in 520 B.C., so 50 years after Ezekiel writes his writing, another minor prophet, Zechariah, comes on the stage, and he comes back after the restoration and the return from Babylon. But I want you to see, you say, what does that have to do with us today? Man, when you read these prophecies, you can't help but get excited. Because they're happening right now. You just heard the prediction or the, the statement of the, of the team of the miraculous. The desert blooms. The cities that were once desolate are now booming with people. Well, Ezekiel prophesied all of that would take place in the latter days. In the last times when this occurs, you will know that the time is very near. And then you pick up in Zechariah and he says, he not only predicts the first coming... He predicts the war, and then he predicts the second coming and the restoration where Israel realizes they look on the one whom they have pierced. That's their own prophets. So when they read the book that's now been translated from the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they say, hmm, now we know the scale is over their eyes so that we Gentiles can come in, but there's a day coming very soon when that scale is going to be removed, and just like Paul told us in Romans, when, all, when the exact number of Gentiles has come in, all of Israel will be saved. The scale is going to fall off, and the revelation of that is going to come upon them, and we are going to see an outpouring like we have never seen before. But it's going to be a dicey time. So you could get nervous when we talk about the war, because it is going to be horrendous. When we stood on the Mount of Carmel and we looked upon the Valley of Jezreel, and we realize that the prediction in Revelation by John the Revelator that said an army of 200 million men come against Israel. 200 million. That's the prediction where it says when that war comes, it'll be the shortest war. Revelation 19 says the Lord himself, the one who has the, the revelation on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords, he destroys them with his breath. But it says that the bridles, the blood will run as high as the horse's bridles. They'll be burying the dead for seven months. Now, you talk about a war and a horrendous well, I said, there's probably only a few places where you could fit an army coming from the north. And the stage has been set. So when we look at Ezekiel, are you there? First of all, 
Ezekiel chapter 2 is Ezekiel's commission. He's a call to his commission. Stand up, O son of man. Verse 1, Ezekiel 2, 1. Stand up, O son of man, and said with a voice, I want to speak to you. And the Spirit came into me as he spoke, and he set me on my feet. I'm sending you to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Chapter 3. He becomes the one set aside or called out. It says, the voice said to me, if Ezekiel 3.1, son of man, eat what I'm about to give you. He gives him a scroll, and he eats the word of this, and then he prophesies it. Go to the people of Israel, verse 4, and give them this message. I am not sending you to a foreign people whose language you cannot understand. I'm sending you to a people that are strange and difficult in speech. If I did, they would, they would not listen. But the people of Israel won't listen to you more than they listen to me. For the whole lot of them are hard-hearted and stubborn. But look, I have made you as obstinate and as hard-headed as they are. And he was. If you read the rest of Ezekiel, he was a strange prophet. Lord, bless the prophets. He says in chapter 3, he now commissions him as a watchman to Israel. Look at verse 16. After seven days, the Lord gave me a message, and he said, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman to over Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, warn the people immediately. He goes on and says, I will hold you responsible for the message, for giving it. If you refuse to give it, then the blood will be on you. But if you give it and they don't listen, the blood is on them. Now, what is the purpose of a watchman? He watches, right? So here, get the picture, 2,500 years ago, this strange prophet, because of Israel's sin, they are about ready to be taken over and sent into exile. He raises up the Babylonians as a form of punishment, but all of it is in his prophecy that when this happens, so Ezekiel prophesies, you sinful people, this is going to come on you, but I want you to know, as a watchman, I will tell you the rest of the story. And this is where we can get excited because we're in it now. So he goes on, he says, I've appointed you as a watchman. Turn to your, you got your outline? Let me read this to you. Modern day Israel, the miraculous fulfillment of prophecy. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel was known as the watchman of Israel. He forewarned of both the judgment of Israel's sin that resulted in the nation being exiled to Babylon. He also revealed in prophecy what we see in modern-day Israel. Ezekiel wrote these prophecies in the year 571 B.C. Now, 2,500 years later, we see the actual fulfillment of Israel as a nation and the future end-time war that is coming. The Dead Sea Scrolls found in 1947 in the Qumran Caves contain six copies of the book of Ezekiel. God is validating Ezekiel's prophecy and allowing us to get ready for what is coming on the world stage concerning Israel. Ezekiel's 2,500-year-old prophecy, we see in the first part of the four chapter, uh, 24 chapters, the sin of a nation and its consequences. And America would take note, we ought to wake up. Let me stop here and say this, we are not the center of God's eye. It's not the United States. There's not one superpower that has stood other than Israel now as the only nation that's been here forever and ever and ever, right? 
When you look at all the other superpowers, and many of them turned their back on Israel, guess what happened to them? Tell me where they are. They are no more. So we need to get this straight as Americans. We can be pride and haughty and think of, well, we got all this. We got. It isn't going to be about our guns and planes and all that stuff as much as I support all strength. It's going to be our support and love for Israel. Amen. That's going to preserve us as a nation. And the remnant of those who say he is the God who is the God over Israel. So the first part of that, and we see the sin and the consequences. Then we also see in chapter 25 through 32, the judgment against other sinful nations. But I want to pick up here God's promise of Israel's restoration in the last days. Under 3a, it says, they were scattered to many lands to punish them for the evil and the way they had lived. Turn, so turn back to Ezekiel 36. Actually, let's pick up in 33 first, I think is we see, again, in chapter 33, Ezekiel as Israel's watchman. So now he is on the wall, and he's sounding the alarm for the future days. The language in this is really interesting. It's set aside this time for a time in the future, a long distance away, in that latter days. When you look at the language in the different translations of this, this is not... It's going to happen or it's already, this is about to happen. And he says, as a watchman, sound the alarm. So in Ezekiel 33, he says, I have chosen him, this is in verse 3, as a watchman. The watchman sees the enemy, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. If they ignore it, that's their responsibility. But I'm now making, verse 7, he says, I'm now making you a watchman for the people of Israel. So as a watchman, he's now looking forward 2,500 plus years And he's saying, this is what I see. Well, what does he see? Son of man, verse 12, give this message. The righteous behavior of a righteous people will not save them if they turn back to sin. The wicked will be destroyed. But those who repent, when I tell the righteous, they will live. But when they sin, expecting past righteousness to save them, none of them and their righteous acts will be remembered. This is that desire for a be holy. This desire. The watchman says, if you're counting on your past repentance to cover you, this is a daily repentance of God. He's warning. He says, righteous behavior is what is required. And he says in verse 20, I will judge each one of you according to your deeds. Then he warns about bad shepherds, and he warns in chapter 34 about the scrawny sheep and the fat sheep. It's kind of the separation that's taking place between one group of sheep and another. Then he plants, look at chapter 36, the restoration of Israel. And this is what we saw. Now get a picture translated... 2,500 years later, son of man, chapter 36, the restoration of Israel. Son of man, prophesy to Israel's mountains. Give this message, O mountains of Israel. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Your enemies have taunted you, saying, Aha, we now have the ancient heights that belong to us. Therefore, son of man, give the mountains of Israel this message of the sovereign Lord's. Your enemies have attacked you from all directions, making you property of many nations, the object of mockery and slander. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
Now let me stop here. We know in 1948, can a nation, Isaiah prophesied in, in chapter 66, can a nation be born in a day? It was born in a day. When Truman, our president, acknowledged the first, we're the first nation to acknowledge the sovereign land of Israel. And Israel was born in a day. Six nations came against Israel on that day. In 1948, the war that broke out, which set the boundaries right up until 1967. Jerusalem was divided. The Jordanians had control of part of, of the Jerusalem. But then in 1967, the Six-Day War broke out. The Golan Heights that are off to the north. You've got Lebanon, you've got Syria. Syria's a mess. You can stand on the border of Israel and you can see Damascus and all of that which is going on in the far distance. That Golan Height was controlled by the Syrians and the Jordanians. 1967, they destroyed the nations that came against them. And they, re they captured Jerusalem. We saw the picture. We went to a place called the Ammunition Hill. And it was such an, a great account. I'd never, it was an account of the, a fortress. It was a, it was a stronghold held by the Jordanians, once thought to be impenetrable. But when they captured the mount, when they captured, it says, we have Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in our hands. It was at that point. So we see here this prophecy that they, they've come against you from all ways. They have prophesied and made a mockery. But now, he says, prophesied of the mountains. The mountains on the high peaks now are in Israel's hands. That happened in 1967. There's another word that says, when Jerusalem, which has been trodden down by the Gentiles, is no longer trodden down by the Gentiles, the end will come. That's in Luke's gospel. Jesus said it. That's in 1967. Never again will Jerusalem fall into the hands of anyone else. I can tell you right now. When we saw our, our embassy, we all shouted on the bus like, yay! And for Trump to do that is like, man, wow, God, what a blessing. All right, let's pick up. The restoration of Israel. So we know that there was this place, the mountains of Israel. Look at verse 8 of Ezekiel 36. The mountains of Israel will produce heavy crops of fruit for my people, for they will be coming home again soon. So I will care about you. I will pay attention to you. Your ground will be plowed. Your crops will be planted. I will greatly increase the population of Israel, and the ruined cities will be rebuilt with people. Now, this is written 2,500 years ago when we were driving all the traffic, hours in traffic to Jerusalem, to Tel Aviv. Our guide would say, what a blessing. I was like, what a blessing. He goes, prophesied that the city would be full of people. This is prophecy being fulfilled. He was excited. He says, so the mountains, we'll, we will see the prosperous nation of Israel. We saw it. He says in verse 11, I will increase not only the people, but your animals. The mountains of Israel bring people to live on you once again. I will make you more prosperous than you were before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The other nations may taunt you. We were there and over 400 missiles were fired at one time by Hamas in, from Gaza. They were trying to overwhelm the Iron Dome. The Iron Dome took out many of the missiles that were fired. The only person who was killed, I was told, was a Palestinian. Go figure that, right? So we see the protection and we see the covering of the Lord. All right, let's go on. It's verse 19. I scattered them to the many lands to punish them for the evil way they lived. But when they were scattered among the nations, they brought shame to my holy name. For the nation said, these are the people of the Lord. He couldn't keep them safe in their own land. 
Then I was concerned for my holy name on which my people brought shame among the nations. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I'm bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is, the name which you brought shame to. And he goes on and says, I will gather you from the nations. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to sprinkle you and write upon it. And you will live in Israel. Verse 28, you will live in Israel and I will give your answer, that I gave your ancestors long ago and you will be my people. Verse 30, I will give you great harvest from your fruit trees and fields and never again will the surrounding nations be able to scoff at you. They are now number two in exports of fruit. We had more delicious fruit and vegetables than I have ever tasted. I mean, every day it was like overflowing abundance. So we see this is that place that says, I will rebuild and repopulate. Verse 33, the sovereign Lord says this, when I cleanse you from your sins, I will repopulate your cities and the ruins will be rebuilt. The fields that once lied empty and desolate in plain view, everyone will see and they'll be farmed again. I will bring back a people. They will say, this former wasteland is now like a garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities now have strong walls filled with people than the surrounding nations that survive will know that I am the Lord that rebuilt the ruins and replanted this wasteland. Do you get a picture of this? This is a desert. They are now, when we went, again, there's so many prophetic messages. They've been draining some of the Dead Sea for cosmetic purposes, and they haven't had a lot of rain. I think they said seven years of drought. So the Dead Sea has shrunken, and they have an outlet there. But what's happening is they've now uncovered fresh pools of water. That's another prophecy. It says the Dead Sea will run with fresh water and fish will live in it. That's happening right now. And so this is like, how can that be? It's, it's 30 times more salty than any of the Wrightsville Beach stuff we swim in. And how, nothing can live in it. You can't, even, you can't even drown in it, right? And so this is this place where God is just, you want watch this. I'll show you this. Then he says, I'll let, the, I'll let the deserts flow. Well, just for us, we're driving from Masada, and our guide had to get back to Shabbat, so we're in a, he's in a rush. Thank God he did, because right then the desert ran as, almost as wide as this room with water rushing down. The road washed out. We would have been stuck there probably for a day and a half because it's the only road out of Masada from the Dead Sea to, to Jerusalem. We saw the, the rivers in the desert. And when it started to rain and the wind, he says, boy, you don't often see windshield wipers working here. And so it's it's like, you guys, it's like this blessing. Chapter 37, Valley of the Dry Bones. This is, in verse 11, he says, in in Ezekiel 37, he says, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. And he then prophesies to the dry bones. Now get a picture of this. They're in exile. They've sinned. They've been destroyed. Zechariah is going to come on the scene and they're going to come back. That's one of the first blessings that come back. While he's prophesying, he says, speak to these dead bones. Prophesy to the land of Israel. The people of Israel, can these bones live? Lord, you know. And what does he do? He puts flesh on the bones and moves them back. And we saw it. We see it. And so when he says, I'm going to bring them back into the land, in verse Uh, 12, it says, therefore prophesy to them and say this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will open up your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. They know him. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return to your own land. 
He also prophesied, remember, if you know your history on Israel, in the last part of that chapter 15, he speaks of the reunification of the northern and southern tribes, Judah and Israel. Remember, Israel and all of its sin got really bad. They get off and they get conquered, and Judah remains. This prediction by the prophet 2,500 years ago, they're going to come together under one leadership, one king, one united people. We sat in the Knesset, and we saw it happen. They are one people. Even though in all their diversity and all that was going on, it was like, wow. That's another prophecy that's been fulfilled. When I have scattered them, he says, in verse 22, I will reunify them as one nation on the mountains of Israel. One king will rule over them. No longer will they be divided by as two nations or as two kingdoms. They will again populate themselves, never to look at idols again in their rebellion. And they will live in the land that I am giving them. Now look at, I want you to see this, verse 26. I will make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant, and I will give them their land and increase their numbers, and I will put my temple among them forever. Now, we've had this debate as Christians. It's kind of like, is there going to be a building of the third temple? Is that going to happen? Well, I want you to see that the Israelis are in a position they are staged. We went to the temple museum. They right down to the garb of the high priest and the Levitical priesthood. All the instruments of the third temple, the Sanhedrin, which has only been formed in the last couple of years. They don't have, that's the 70 rabbis that have formed. They haven't elected a high priest yet because they need a temple for that. But they have the blueprints. We saw the blueprints of the third temple. They showed them to us on the screen. So I turned to our Jewish guy because, you know, you look at the Temple Mount, which is one of the, right adjacent to the Temple Mount, is the third holiest site of all of Islam. And it's guarded. And I I took took Yossi aside. I said, so how's this going to happen? You know, you realize that if you go and knock down that mount, we're going to have World War III. And he goes, well... It could happen by God's hand. He says, you know, the fault line runs right through here. There could be an earthquake that could take care of this whole thing. Or there could be war. We don't know. All we do is prepare. But I got to tell you, when they tell me that the red heifer, which is the sacrifice, is now born, that's been, I think, 2,000 years, I'm told. These are all prophetic things and signs that are occurring Right now, in our generation, why? Because I think it's really close. I really believe it's close. Well, let's go on. Let's see what happens. He says, he then predicts a war. After the reunification of, of Israel and Judah, he speaks of a latter-day war. Verse chapter 38. Now, these alignments have already heard. You know, the Russians are in Syria. They're running their aircraft, right? They're aligned. Iran is in Syria. We have troops in Syria. So right now, when you look at the alignment, some believe, Gog and Magog, let me just read what the Scripture says, and we can make some decisions or at least some thoughts on it. Here's another message that came to the watchmen, right, of the Lord. Son of man, turn and face Gog and Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshach and Tubal. The prophecy, I want you to prophesy against him now. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You are my enemy. 
I will turn and put hooks in your jaw, and I will lead you out as a whole army of horses and charioteers, full armor, a great horde, armed with shields and swords. Persia, 1937, Iran changed its name from Persia to Iran. Ethiopia, Muslim state. Libya, which is now in the hands of Iran as well, right? Yemen, it's not listed here. And he says, and a, they will come and join together with their weapons. Gomer and all of its armies will join in the armies of Beth Gomar from the distant north and many others. Get ready. Be prepared. Keep all the armies around you mobilized. Take command of them. A long time from now. You think that's 2,500 years? You will be called into action. In the distant future, you will swoop down on the land of Israel, which has been enjoying peace after recovering from war, after its people have returned from the many lands to the mountains of Israel. You and all your allies, a vast, awesome army, will roll down on them like a storm and cover the land like a cloud. At that time, verse 12, I will go to those formerly desolate cities which are now filled with people who have returned from the exile in many nations. And you will come to capture amounts of plunder and people that are rich in livestock. Do you really think that the armies you have gathered can rob them of their silver and gold? I want you to look. King James says it this way. It's an interesting thought. If you go north of Israel, many scholars, they're split on this. Many scholars believe Gog and Magog is Moscow. Due north of Israel is Moscow. But before you get there is Turkey. Turkey, which is a NATO ally, is all sorts of messed up right now. And there are many that also believe Turkey may be part of this vast horde. Either way, you go north, they're there. These, These nations that come, at some point in the distant future, this alliance will come against Israel. So whether it's, all we know is they're due north. And we've got several nations that are anti-Israel that are there. You will come, this is verse 15, you will come from your homeland in the distant north with your vast cavalry and your mighty army and you will attack my people of Israel covering the land like a cloud. At that time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches. Does that sound like CNN, BBC, Fox News? Watching the tanks come down the Jezreel Valley? As everyone watches, and my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, the nations will know that I am the Lord. I will bring you against my people in the future. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. When Gog invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. Verse 19, in my jealousy and my blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel on that day. All living things, the fish of the sea, the birds, the sky, the animals of the field will scurry along the ground. All the people of the earth will quake in the terror at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down. Cliffs will crumble. Walls will fall in the earth. I will summon the sword against all of the hills of Israel, says the sovereign Lord. Your men will turn their swords on each other, and I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. Doesn't sound very nice. Chapter 39 deals with when they come from the distant north, verse 2. I will turn you around towards the mountains of Israel, bring you from the distant north, and I will knock the bow from your left hand, your arrows. Verse 6, I will rain down fire on Magog, and all your allies who live safely in the coast, they will know that I am the Lord. Could be nuclear war. 
Sounds like nuclear war to me. Not a pleasant time. Many who are pre-trivers say, let's get out of here now, Lord, get us out of here. Let's watch this up there. He will demonstrate his glory. This is the slaughter of Gog and his hordes. In verse 21, in this way I will demonstrate the glory of the nations. Everyone will see their punishment. I have inflicted on them by the power of my fist. And at that time, on the people of Israel, they will know that I am the Lord their God. The nations will know that why Israel was sent away in exile. And they were punished for their sins. It's going to all come to be. He finishes in verse 25 with the restoration of God's people. When I bring them from the homelands of their, against their, the enemies, I will display my holiness. And I will never again turn my face, for I have poured out my spirit on the people of Israel. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Now the next chapters deal with the new temple. And it gives really specific guidance on how big, where it goes, south gateway, north gateway, courtyard, where the temple priest is going to be, where the inner courtyard goes. It's like, wow, there's a lot of detail here. Skip to 43. The glory of the Lord appears to the east gate. We stood on the Mount of Olives overlooking the east gate. And they've, it's wild. They have walled up the east gate. And they got a graveyard because no Jew will go through a graveyard and become defiled, right? So they think that the graveyard and the walled wall will stop Jesus from coming to the gate. Duh. Hello. Anyway, I just thought it was comical. And so... It says here that the glory of the Lord suddenly, this verse, chapter 43, the, the, and this, the man brought me back around to the east gateway. Suddenly the glory of the Lord, God himself, appeared of Israel, appeared in the, in the east. The sound of his coming was like the roar of rushing waters. The whole landscape shone with his glory. The vision was like, just like the others that I had seen by the Kabar River. And then when, I, when he came to destroy Jerusalem, I fell face down on the ground, and the glory of the Lord came into the temple through the east gateway. You get a picture of this. The temple has obviously been restored here. Some of you say, well, I don't know about all that. Second Thessalonians says, when the man of perdition, the man of sin, he stands in the temple and declares himself to be God. That scripture says there's a temple. Or he's standing somewhere in some temple, but it seems like, wow. So I just, hey, again, you can't be dogmatic, but there's, Ezekiel got so much of it right, why would we not think he got the rest of this right, right? So it's coming in places. The glory of the Lord will return, and it declares absolute holiness. He wants absolute holiness. Look at verse 12 of Ezekiel 43. When the glory of the Lord comes... This is the basic law of the temple, absolute holiness. I got stuck on that. What does that mean? I know he says, be holy as I am holy. Be a righteous people. But I just got to tell you that absolute holiness is the law of the temple. Now, praise God that his blood, Romans tells us we've been made the righteousness of Christ by faith in him. His blood, his royal blood declares us righteous and holy. Thank God for the royal blood because there's none of us holy apart from him. But the basic law is this absolute desire of holiness. And then he goes on and deals with the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, the Zadok priesthood, which were a separate group that had 
honored and stood themselves apart. That's that. Then the land is divided. Let's finish in Ezekiel 47, which is the founding scripture of our church, the river of God, the global river. Ezekiel 47, in the, in the finishing of all these days, the foundation, the glory has, rest- has returned. What happens now? It says that there's a river that flows from the temple of God that goes to all the nations. And this is the one where he says it's going to rise from the ankle level to knee to, to waist high to chest high. Finally, the river is so deep, and you're in so deep over your head, you don't tell the river where you're going. The river takes you where it should go, right? We're kind of like hanging on to class five water for the dear life, like, oh, Lord, where are we going? And he takes this river, and it heals the nations. And that's the promise. He says, and this is where we fl- everything flourishes. Then we see the, the finale. He sets aside this land for his purpose. So Ezekiel, I want you to just kind of stop and reflect with me. He predicts the exile. He goes into exile. He predicts the restoration. He predicts the oncoming restoration of the land from all the places they've been scattered. He predicts the oncoming war, which has not occurred yet, and then he predicts the restoration and the rebuild of the temple. So we're somewhere in the midst of it, sitting there right now on the the precipice. I was in Israel a few years ago when I saw how far they'd come in the temple planning and all of that. I was like, whoa, they're serious about this. We'll see what comes about. Let me finish. I want you to look at Zechariah's prophecy, kind of pick it up from there. Fifty years later, the minor prophet Zechariah, so turn all the way back just before Malachi, the last book in Old Testament, and you'll see Zechariah. What an amazing book. I would suggest, even for this holiday season that's coming, you would read through the book of Zechariah. He prophesies, look at Zechariah chapter 8. He promises a blessing of the first coming. Take a look at, um, let's see, I guess it's actually in, let's look at chapter 8 and we'll look at chapter 9. The blessing for Jerusalem. He says, I love Jerusalem. Chapter 8, I love my mount. Verse 2 says, my mount Zion is passionate and strong. I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. I now, the Lord says, I'm returning to the Mount Zion to live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be called a faithful city, the mountain of God. Heaven's armies will be called this holy mountain. Verse 6, he says, that which seems impossible to you as a small remnant of God's people, but it is not impossible for me. This is what the Lord says of the heaven's armies. You can be sure I will rescue my people from the east and from the west, and I will bring them again safely to live in their land in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and just towards them as their God. So he prophesied. In fact, he says um, in several places, Jerusalem is a stumbling block. Many of them will try it. Will, I think he says in chapter 9, 10, he says, I think it's in 10. But look at chapter 9. I know I'm feeding you a lot here, but I want to give you a taste for the prophetic word that is unfolding here and the timing of these prophets. So they come back. Zechariah comes back from Babylon's captivity, and they're... They're there. He prophesies now, 500 years in advance, there is a Savior that's going to ride a donkey cult. Come on. Can't, what? 
the righteous victorious one, chapter uh, 9, verse 9, rejoice, O Zion, shout in triumph, people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses. I will destroy the weapons, and your king will bring peace to the nations. Verse 11, because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood. So he predicts the first coming. Then in chapter 10, it says the restoration of people. Look how many centuries he's got going here. He says, I will restore my people. Now they come back to the land. I will strengthen Judah and Israel. This is chapter 10, verse 6. I will strengthen Judah and save Israel. I will restore because of my compassion. Verse 9, they will grow as numerous as they were before. Though I scattered them like seeds among the nation, I will remember in distant lands and their children will survive and they will return to Israel. Again, this is 520 B.C. Come on. I mean, they now know. The Dead Sea Scrolls, they opened this when they translated. It says, he got it right. He got it right. Why do you think we know this right now? Why is this so obvious to us? Because you have to be really ignorant to say that that word isn't true, and it's coming. You really have to be almost brain-dead rebellious to say, well, God didn't say anything about that. And we need to know this word because we have to revelate in the fact that he said it, and we're responsible to know it and see what's coming. It ought to excite you when you start to see it. And when you start to see the armies form, you can realize, this is going to be a short war. It's going to be a mess. Let's pray that the United States is on the right side of it. It's interesting, I didn't pull it out, but Ezekiel also shared in that war, in Ezekiel 36, 37, where he says, the young lions thereof say, what have you come to steal plunder? Interesting that we're right now in the midst of the Brexit, where England is coming away from the, from the European Union. What did the German chancellor say just the other day? That all of European Union ought to surrender their sovereignty and hand it over to Brussels. Now you got England, the young lions. The lion is England. Who are the young lions? The Americans, the, the Australians, the Canadians. They're the young lions that stand up when they come against the horde that's coming and says, Have you come to steal plunder? Come on. You will see in that day, it says, they will grow as numerous as they were before, though I scattered them like seeds to the nation, but I will remember them and their children will survive and I will bring them back. Verse 11, they will pass through the sea of distress and the rule of Egypt will end. And by my power, I will make my people strong and by my authority, they will go wherever they wish. Chapter 12, this is a, probably one of the most Masonic, Masonic scriptures here, the deliverance and the future of Jerusalem. This message concerning the fate of Israel, chapter 12 of Zechariah, verse 1. This message is from the Lord who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth, formed the human spirit. I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink, and I will make the nearby nations stagger. When they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah... On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. On that day, says the Lord, I will cause every horse to panic, every rider to lose nerve. Look at this. Many believe 
the rabbis I speak to, I'm in context right now with one of the rabbis there. I won't use his name because he's kind of undercover. But he says, this war, he says, if it says in verse chap, uh, chapter 12, verse, on that day I will make the clans of Judah like a flame that sets a woodpile ablaze, burning and torch, sheaves of grain. They will burn up all the neighboring nations right and left while the people in Jerusalem remain secure. That's going to be an ugly war. On that day I will begin to destroy all the nations that have come against Israel. And now listen to this, chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour out my spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem, and they will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as the firstborn son who has died. This is the revelation of Christ Messiah to Israel as a nation. In the midst of God revealing his power and destroying the enemies around them, in that moment, the revelation is Christ. They will look on the one whom they have pierced as the only begotten son, and they will weep bitterly by clan, by clan, by clan. That will be the revelation of, oh. 520 B.C., Zechariah said it would happen. All Israel will mourn it that day. Then there will be a fountain, chapter 13, a fountain of cleansing. And then chapter 14, the end and the glory. It says, the Lord will rule in the earth. This is the second coming of Christ. I will gather, this chapter 14, verse 1. Watch for the day of the Lord is coming. Watch in the possessions that were plundered right in front of you. I will gather all the nations to fight against Israel. And the Lord will go out and he will fight against those nations. And on that day, verse 4. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running east and west. Half the mountain will move towards the north, the other half towards the south. You will flee through the, as the great earthquake in the days of King Uzziah and Judah. The Lord my God, I will come and my holy ones with him. Sounds like the second coming with all the saints, amen? On that day, he will become the light. He will become the living water. The Lord will be king over all the earth, and Jerusalem will be filled, safe and never again cursed or destroyed. Verse 12, and the Lord will send a plague on nations that have come against it. And every year, verse 16, we will go up to Jerusalem to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords and celebrate the festival of shelters. Well, I just gave you, you know, I know, a lot. But I want you to see what, what my, my, desire, my desire was that you would see this word is so real and so precious and so specific. A hundred years ago, they would have looked at it and said, someday, yeah, right? No, we're in it. That ought to inspire us to be in absolute holiness. And that's a scary word for me. God, help us. We need, so let's. I want to tee up, we got um, a few minutes late, but I want to do this. I want to end with, these are the days of Elijah. So if Daniel can pull that up. Dance team, come on to all you dancers that can do the days of Elijah. We're just going to kind of dance out of here. If you need to go, you go. Um, but these are the days of Elijah. We stood on the Mount Carmel over the valley of Jezreel where the Baal prophets, 450 of them were toasted. <laughs> Right? And we saw, we saw that valley, that beautiful valley below.
that one day will be a battlefield, I believe. And we're just excited to hear we're living in the days Elijah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Isaiah, all of these amazing scriptures that prove when they translated Isaiah's chapter, is it four, five, six, and they found that a virgin will give birth to a child and he will be called Emmanuel. I said, wow, you got, and there were like over 20 full volumes of the book of Isaiah in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So I was like, Israel's got to be reading this and wonder, wow, these Christians, they think a virgin was already born. Wow. All right, why don't we stand? If you, if you feel like dancing, dance. If you feel like worshiping, worship. If you need to go, you head out. and Let's uh, just celebrate that these are the days that were predicted that would come. For whatever reason, he's allowing us to be alive this moment. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that it's transforming. It says it's full of power. So transform us now in Jesus' name.